Hello, I'm Lor Schoberg. This story is called Nothing, from the book collection Machine of Death. For more information, please visit machineofdeath.net. Nothing, by Petalard. She had started to pant several hundred yards earlier. Now a small trickle of sweat was beginning to make its way down her back. She stopped, turned around. The view was majestic. Meadows and hedges made a checkered pattern toward the horizon. Chimneys puffed out small, dark gray clouds over farms and villages. And as always, the grass was a certain vivid, dark, and slightly translucent green, which she had associated with a particular smell since childhood. A smell of sea, of fields, and of burning coal. The grass really is greener here, she thought. The greener grass of Ireland. She waited until she had caught her breath, then turned again and continued up the hill. The footpath wound round crags and rocks, but had now taken her almost all the way to the little house. It had been invisible from the road, appearing to be just another patch of gray rocks. Now it had taken on the familiar appearance of Grandpa's house. Stone walls, a roof of reddish brick tiles, and the door painted in a bright color. She recalled it as green from her last visit. Today it was a clear blue. The door opened when she was still a few yards from the house. An old man made his way out, standing on the three steps leading down to the yard, straightening his back. He looked exactly the same as last time, five years ago, maybe seven. She couldn't quite remember. Thin, tall, with a wisp of nearly white hair that blew whichever way the wind fancied. She smiled at him. Hi, Grandpa. He nodded at her, smiled as she came closer. Hello, Christine. I see you're keeping well. His voice was clear, but not altogether strong. It sounded as if his words were going to be blown away in the wind. You too, Grandpa. She hugged him carefully. He still felt strong, but since she was twelve, she'd always been afraid that one day he would become frail and be crushed by her embrace. It's been some time now. Years. Not reproachfully, simply a statement of fact. I did write, but now you wanted to see the old man. Yes. She looked around, saw that the wooden bench was still there, most of it gray, weathered wood, but one armrest was a dull yellow, some plastic material. She sat down on it gingerly. Not only didn't it creak, it felt like sitting down on a rock. You're grown now, a woman. She laughed briefly. Twenty-six, not much more than a child to many. He sat down beside her, folded his hands in his lap. He was quiet, but looking at her expectantly, waiting for her to tell him why she had chosen to come. Grandpa James died last week, on Friday. He sighed slowly. So it goes. What of? Cancer, just like it said on his slip. Nothing unusual about it. Painless, he was asleep toward the end. Again, a sigh. He was a dear one, that child. Christine nodded. He did tell me, the day before he fell asleep, about you, and when he was a child. He nodded, lost in thought. A dear one. I'm glad you came to tell me. It's not a thing you'd want to read about in a letter. She looked at him. He knows now, doesn't he? He knows. He knows that I know. Grandpa? How old are you? He seemed to come back into focus. 
His voice was stronger, less an old man's. Older than I care to remember. I don't count the years anymore. No one does after a while. You're just grateful you saw another one. I always knew you were older than Grandpa James. I always thought you were my great-grandpa. I thought everyone had just gotten to the habit of calling you Grandpa, that you became everyone's Grandpa. But he said that he'd been calling you Grandpa even when he grew up. The years passed by, Christine, one by one, one day at a time. You get up in the morning, you stay awake, the sun sets. I don't count them. She rose abruptly. I still do. She turned, opened the door into the cottage. He sat still on the bench as she went in. The smell was the same after all those years. A hint of coal, a hint of food cooked slowly and lovingly, a hint of damp that wouldn't go away even in a heat wave in summer, and a lot of old paper, old books, old letters in a desk, old newspapers in a pile by the fireplace. She had lain awake at night when they had come visiting and felt the smell. It felt like they did it all summer, every summer, but when she looked it up and did the sums, it couldn't have been more than five or six summers, and probably only two weeks, possibly three. But that is the way childhoods are constructed long afterward. You remember scattered parts, some chosen at random, some that affected you deeply, and you string them together and say, this was me growing up. Your parents say something else, your grandparents something different still, but you stay by the story you've told yourself. She looked around, in a way she never had before. There had to be some clue in here. He had been born across the sea, only returning to Ireland in what he called the land of my ancestors, as he was becoming an old widower. Surely there was some sort of paper, some record of it. It didn't take long. There was only one desk, only a few drawers, and she ignored those holding mementos and the various odds and ends. But at the back of one drawer, with some plastic cards, probably long defunct, and various receipts, she found what she was looking for. A passport. An old-fashioned passport. Possibly undisturbed since he had first settled in this house. With a birth date. He was puffing on his pipe, peering through the smoke at her when she came out again. It floated near his face for a moment, protected from the constant wind by the walls of the house until it gently drifted into the wind and was torn apart, dispersed faster than the eye could follow. She sat down again and picked up the small lump that had been weighing down her right jacket pocket on her way up the hill. He nodded knowingly. That's one of the latest models, isn't it? A predictor. She put her head to one side, looked at him thoughtfully. You've seen them? This is the new pocket size. No, well, in the papers. The man from the village usually brings me an old newspaper or two at the groceries. But you didn't have to bring it, you know. Your family, I'd tell you if you asked. A moment of silence stretched out. Finally, she said the words that were so rarely said, even among family. What does yours say? He puffed on his pipe again, took it out of his mouth. Picked up a burnout match from the bench beside him and poked carefully at the glow. You know, I had it figured out as soon as I saw the slip, both what it really meant and that I had to go. Why? Grandpa, what does your slip say? Why, nothing. It was empty. I never showed it to anyone, of course. There'd be no end of trouble, wouldn't there? But I figured that if I went here, back to what my parents always called the old country, and settled somewhere I wouldn't be noticed, everyone would just think it said car accident or some similar. No cars here, see? 
He gestured with his pipe, indicating the entire hillside. This place had stayed the same for many years. It has stayed the same since I came. Nothing much changes. What sort of trouble? She knew it well enough. She'd had all the time the trip took to work it out, but she really wanted to hear the full story. The manufacturers and operators would go mad about it, of course. They'd drag me to court or something. Then there would be all sorts of religions wanting to have a look at me. Some of them would probably try to burn me at the stake or say I was an abomination or a heresy. Others might make me their savior. Some would try to lay their hands on me, lock me up, and pretend I was never here. Of course, I reckon that Jehovah's Witnesses would be the worst. They'd say I was the first of their 144,000 and I'd never see the back of them. He chuckled slowly. I think I actually moved too far away even for them. I certainly haven't seen one since I came here. A puff at his pipe. But I had it all worked out. You know, the slips are accurate. They're just not always truthful. She nodded. Sometimes it was in the news, but more often it wasn't. Some of the stories she'd heard were urban legends, naturally, but a sizable proportion of them were true, as far as anyone could check them. So, what does a blank slip mean? Nothing, of course. I'll die of nothing. And there's one kind of nothing that's all over the place, literally. He looked at her with a twinkle in the eye, as if to see whether she was with him. Vacuum. Again, the waving with the pipe, but this time toward the sky. Most of the universe is nothing. So they tell me, not that I'm an educated man, but I've read it enough times to believe that they know what they're talking about. So if I ever went out in a spaceship, I'd be darned if it didn't spring a leak and the vacuum would kill me. And that's where the real trouble comes in, of course. How? She suspected she knew where this was going, but she wasn't going to trust herself to guess his next leap. The scientists. They'd be next in line after the priests and prophets. And they'd run all their tests on me, and one day the brightest of them would come up with the idea that if they put me in a test tube and remove the air, that'd be the nothing that'd kill me. And when it did, they'd just say QED, clean out the test tube, and go collect their Nobel Prize. So I just figured I'd stay here at the back of everything. It'll come after me one day, not that I'm in a particular hurry, but I've lived for a long time now, and even if I don't want to go, I did better than I'd hoped for. He smiled, puffed again at his pipe. She sighed. Grandpa, I found your passport. You're 170 years old. He seemed to shrink as if he felt the weight of all those years. He chewed the pipe, took it out of his mouth, and looked at it thoughtfully. That many, is it? Well, that's a lot. He paused for a moment. I buried my children and my grandchildren, and your Grandpa James was the last of their children. All gone now. All gone. But you kept in touch with us. Why, Grandpa? You knew someone would figure it out one day. The world would come back. There are still prophets and scientists. He looked up at her. His eyes were watery as if they were about to burst with tears. You get lonely, Christine. You get so very lonely. All your friends are gone, and then your wife and sisters and cousins and uncles, and then one day everyone in your generation. One day you're the only one alive to remember the days when you were a child, all the things you used to say and do, all the places you used to go. And then the only one to remember the days when you had become an adult, what the politicians were like, what the news was about, the foods and smells and worries and music and all the small things that tell you that this is now. The time you moved with when you were young. 
the jargon and idols and the excitement of what has become ancient history. You're a refugee in time, living on after your world is turned to dust. And the family, Christine, your own descendants, are the only link you have with everything you've lost. They're the only way you have of still being attached to the world. She found her eyes starting to water as in response to his. Her hand moved toward the predictor as it lay on the bench. I don't think we have to do that, he said slowly. If you say it's 170, I say you're right. I might have missed a dozen, but that would really make no difference. And I'd really not like the world to come stampeding here to look at me if it's all the same to you. Not at my time of life. Christine shook her head. A strand of hair was caught by the wind and settled across her face. I believe you, Grandpa. I figured it out, more or less. She kept her eyes fixed on him while her index finger found the hole in the predictor. I brought this here to show you. A click, a quick sting in her finger, and a whir as the predictor ejected a small slip of paper. I thought you wouldn't believe me if you didn't see this. Still without letting her eyes leave his, she picked up the slip and gave it to him. The slip that, just like last time, just like always, had no text on it. He looked at it. He looked at her. After a moment, the tears started to roll down his face, and slowly and still silent, he turned and looked out over the landscape. She sighed and relaxed. And as he had done, she turned and looked out over the landscape, illuminated and painted in red and gold by the setting sun. For more stories about the Machine of Death, visit our website, machineofdeath.net. This audio file is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. That means feel free to share it, send it around, or adapt it however you like, but please don't sell it. I'm Lore Schoberg. My site is at badgods.com. Thanks for listening.